Hello, and welcome to another episode of Let the Music Be Your Master. This is our part two of the 80s, best of the 80s. I'm Jordan Harmon, and I'm here with... Brandon Arnold. Jason Johnson. And we're going to dive right into it. We left off with, I think, 1985, and we're just going to dive right into 1986. Or do we have anything we need to, any score we need to settle before we it, get into 1986? Oh, obviously. Is it obnoxious if we ask everybody to just give like a 12-second review of the songs they, they said, just so I have them all in my head again f- through 85? Sure. Do you want to do one at a time? No, just give your, I, just, okay. I think each person just list all, all right. that they 19, did anyone have a 1980... Well, I no, I just, just take just, your, just, okay, just okay, okay, okay. Yeah. give your Jordan picks. Okay, so I had uh, Cross. the one that Jason loved. Yeah, Christopher Cross, Never Be the Same, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash, uh, Bad uh, Only You by Yaz, uh, Every Day I Write the Book by Elvis Costello, Drive by The Cars, and then my 85 was Kiss by Prince. Oh, seven of them? That was uh, most of my... I think that was seven. I think I, I thought you were left. saying your 85 was a song by Kiss, which no. I didn't remember, but no, then no, I, no. I wouldn't put it past you <laughs> The either. song Kiss. No, no. I'm not Yeah, I'm not a friend <laughs> of the band Kiss. No, thank you. <laughs> I lost. had Once in a Lifetime, Talking Heads, uh, Grandmaster Flash, The Message, Cambridge Singers, The Lord Bless You and Keep You, Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark, and The Smiths, How Soon Is Now? Uh, I had Joy Division, Level Terrace Apart, Tom Tom Club, Genius of Love, Michael Jackson, Billie Jean, Talking Heads, This Must Be the Place, Husker Du, Something I Learned Today, and Echo and the Bunny Men, The Killing Moon. That takes us through the end of 85, yeah? That is. That is. So, Tom Tom Club, by the way, I listened to that uh, several times since our last episode. That so song. Nice, isn't it? Loving it. Loving that song. So, thank you for that. All right, so we're just going to jump into 1986, um, and I've got one from 86. Who's, who else has an 86? I do. Uh, let me check. Brandon's got an 86, and Jason I do not. does not. Nope. So, Brandon, why don't you start us off, and then I'll go second with our 1986 picks. I had the Smiths for my last one, going with another British uh, wuss rock band. <laughs> My favorite genre. At, at least you're calling. At least you're giving it the right name. British wish. I'm already. Yeah, I'm already more open to whatever you're about. Actual, actual wish rock is air supply and that stuff. Um, but this, this, I mean, you'll you'll see. Um, classic, classic uh, British. Maybe this is like precursor to indie bands. Maybe they were an indie band. I don't know. The Cocteau Twins. How do you mm-hmm. categorize mm-hmm. them? Dream pop. They're on the 4AD level, label, <laughs> 4AD label, which uh, had uh, a lot of these type of type of bands. I think mostly from uh, from England, um, and they they had this distinctive sound of ethereal, uh, yeah, very dreamy, very slow. So I'm going with uh, th- this is from their album Victoria Land from 1986. The song is Lazy Calm, which is track one on that album. Um, I'm going to play... The the intro goes for like two or three minutes. It's like a Ravel's Bolero, you know? <laughs> Just kind of goes and goes, and except without getting gradually louder like that one does. Um, so I am going to skip to... Uh, 
when the the main part of the song comes on. And for me, it's just like it's kind of like uh, I have a serious question about yeah. this. Do you want me to quest it now, or would you like me to save it so we can enjoy the song? If the question is better before we've heard the song, then ask it now. This is we can let this play. Oh, there you go. Yeah, feels like I'm in a dream sequence in a weird movie. Yeah. Um, when you listen to this normally, mm-hmm. do you skip through the first part? No. Ever. No. All right. Uh, mostly because I'm often listening to something in the car, and so it's either skip the track got it, got or it. listen to it. Mostly because you listen to cassette tapes, and it's a pain to hit yeah. fast forward and push through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Okay, so I was just checking to see if there's like equal value in the first part, or if there, if part of a song is worth skipping, then does, then does this song really yeah. deserve to be on the list? Yeah, well, I think this is comparable to In the Air Tonight, when mm-hmm. we listened to that earlier. Such a long intro. It mm-hmm. is. Um, but you can hear other instruments coming in. Do you in. think it's... And I think the uh, the satisfaction when the, the main part of the song really comes in is just so magical. Do you think it's equivalent to In the Air Tonight in Mediocrity? <laughs> Come on, this I, is just, this is a cup. I twins. don't agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm drinking a Dr. Is, Pepper. And yeah. got, got me so, all fired up. A uh, <clears throat> little background on the Cocteau Twins. Um, I think on this album, it was only two of them. I think normally there are three main members, but I believe the drummer was not available to record this album. Uh, there is still some percussion, but it's it's pretty minimal. So you've got your guitarist. Robin Guthrie, and you've got your singer, Elizabeth Fraser, who has the most distinctive, I don't know, just really gorgeous voice, but also super shy and hated performing and felt really self-conscious. And I don't know if that is correlated with this, but a lot, most of the songs she's, I guess, making up her own language. I don't think it's actually like Tolkien, like making up a functioning language, but right. she's... She's not saying words. Right. So one thing about this band is they were influential to David Lynch and the, the sound of Angelo Badalamente's mm. score for Twin Peaks. All right, here we go. When uh, 
and those guitars and bass, and then her voice comes in on that. That uh, that does it it's for me. Nice, it's dreamy. Yeah. This, this for me, this one's similar to um, just the same kind of feeling and mood of God only knows the Beach Boys, like that that kind of gracefulness and and kind of simplicity, but just the the beauty of the voices. So. Yeah, really influential band in their own sphere, but not like they're well known, you know, by the general population. Yeah. Shout out to Peter Bauman for this one. Nice. He's mm-hmm. a mutual friend of some of us. He was he's huge Cocteau Twins, even Cocteau Twins fan, even in high school. I don't know many people in high school that were listening to them a lot. He was him, always but. he was always ahead of everybody else when it came to just having good taste. Yep. Taste maker at PHS. <laughs> That's right. Peter Bauman, <laughs> hey, 1994. <laughs> so I came to Cocteau Twins a little late in that. So I'm a fan. I like love like Twin Peaks. I love the music. Mm-hmm. I like the genre of music that people sometimes call chill wave from the last I don't know 10, 15 years, like washed out beach house bands mm-hmm. like that. And so li- making playlists for myself with bands like that, I was always being recommended to mm-hmm. Cocteau Twins. And so mm-hmm. I st- so the- Cocteau Twins, some of their songs are several first. of my. Playlists that I listen to. That's funny. So the algorithm currently. started feeding it to you. The algorithm brought me Cocteau Twins late. Nice. So, because I, you know, I didn't have some of these cool tastemakers around me. You know, my <laughs> my dad was like, "Listen to Wham. Listen to <laughs> you too. <laughs> listen to Madonna. I've, I've never met your dad. There's no way in hell your dad was saying listen to Wham. <laughs> That's true. He wasn't. My sister though was a huge Wham fan, and that when every time I hear the song, you know, and and now you tell me that you're having my baby, I tell you that I'm happy if you want me to. That's my. I think of my sister then, and I think of myself being a nine year old or seven or whatever, thinking, I like this song. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, but Wham's not on my list. But good, good pick, Brandon. Wham's, Wham is on my honorable mention. I am glad that at least it brought Wham to yeah. get mentioned. We had to mention yeah. Wham. No, we didn't. Yeah. Well, it no, happened. We it happened. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna time. bring up my my 1986. This is another uh, British musician. Um, probably not the same genre, but kind of. Um, Overlapping still, still genre. Still on the wussy side of things. Still on the wussy kind of emotional side of things. Mm-hmm. This is Kate Bush, 1986. Uh, the song I chose is Hounds of Love. Mm-hmm. Great pick. So I don't know much about the song. I didn't, I I didn't do my research. I would have running up that hill. I, they're I, both so good. I had running up that hill on my, on my list, and it didn't make the cut like the last week, and I was bummed out to take it off. I'll, I'll explain why in a minute. Yeah. We can listen to it. Um, but I'm glad good. I'm really glad you put it because Kate Bush absolutely needs to be preserved. Yeah, she's I think, brilliant. I think so. Um, I had both tell, those songs. Tell me about but, Kate Bush first. Uh, Jason, take it away. <laughs> so here, the, what I was going to say. So one of the, the weird things about the 80s. So we talked about, you know, we went through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and each decade kind of has its own fill. There's overlap. You can feel where um, innovation starts to to kind of bleed in from one decade to another. And one of the big questions that I had uh, about the eighties when I was digging into it, because there we had, we exchanged some texts kind of before we recorded the first half of this. And there was some real concern, like, are the eighties good? Am I actually going to be able to put together a playlist that I feel good about? And it felt like 
it felt like there was this concern that the object, the eighties were objectively a worse decade musically than the previous decade, especially the seventies. And then you remembered Wham. And then you remembered, remembered Air Supply. You remembered <laughs> Michael <laughs> McDonald. <laughs> exactly. No. So one of the big questions I had, like the seventies and the sixties, produced these really. Um, kind of notable singer-songwriters. And when I was putting this together, I was really, really curious, like, who are the singer-songwriters of the 80s? And I couldn't really put my finger on it because there's not, like, a clear Bob Dylan figure or Joni Mitchell figure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the industry was starting to change a little bit. Top 40 was starting to change how we engaged with music a little bit. I think it was influencing sounds. I think it was influencing taste. Even even Neil Young was too busy getting sued by his own record label for not sounding like Neil Young. The Mm -hmm. whole thing is bizarre but as i really dug in um kate bush kind of rose to the top as what i would say is like a singer songwriter from the 80s and she made she she has a very distinct sound like if you hear a song you know it's a kate bush song but when you listen to it it's really really emotive really deep always um it's she has a very like what's the name of the album that's the the song that you picked is on it's, it's called actually called hounds, hounds, of, hounds love. of love is right yeah. so like that has a very 80s feel it has a very era specific feel which sometimes I, I don't love like sometimes that almost reduces a thing in value i want something to be like transcend the era that it exists in but her stuff is just it's really good so she's i, I would say it would do anybody well to head down a, a a rabbit hole of Kate Bush songs and explore a little bit. I came to her a little bit later. I, I, I was, when I kind of got into her stuff more, maybe late twenties, early thirties, not the decade, but my age. Um, and I reg- like, I, it was one of those that I wished I had gotten into earlier. So before we press play, I'll say, cause I turned it over to you, Jason, cause I was like, I don't know what to say about this, but I will share something, how I came to her. Cause it is interesting. It's not about her. It's more about, Again, coming to someone late, but through music that you're sharing with someone. So I was I was sitting with a person I was working with professionally, someone who was a client, so uh, doing therapy with them. And this was someone that I didn't feel and, and that was going to get helped very much. They had a chronic, severe mental illness. They had really, really uh, awful, severe schizophrenia. And what this person wanted to do when we'd meet together was just kind of vent and then just listen to music. Hmm. So he would share a song. I'd share a song. This is over 10 years ago now. I'll be as vague as I can. But he shared with me Smith songs. He shared with me, you know, a lot of kind of uh, new wave stuff. But then he shared with me Kate Bush and he shared This Woman's Work was the first one. And he sits back. And this is a guy who's just a tortured soul. His mind was just in a torture, like in hell all the time, like voices telling him how awful he is and swearing at him and things like that. And he sits back, and Kate Bush's voice comes on. And I kid you not, he sits back there, and just a little tear, like it was like a movie moment, little tears coming down his face. And I was like, this, and it was very touching to be there with him. And then I started listening to Kate Bush, and I'm like, yeah. And I would, selfishly, I'd look forward to these sessions that I had because we were going to go and talk, and then we were going to listen to music together. And he he (laughs) loved sharing this stuff with me. Anyway, so I don't know much about Kate Bush. But I know uh, I know her from that that way. Very powerful singer performer. This is Hounds of Love. In the trees, it's coming.
So yeah, that was, I could have chosen running up that hill. I love that one as well. This woman's work, um, some great songs, and she's got others that are really great as well. Mm-hmm. She's got a really cool voice and just cool sound. I I, I can see why you'd compare with Joni Mitchell, Jason. So you, mm-hmm. Like listening to the more songs of hers I hear, the more it feels like she's just got this personality of I'm going to do this my way and... Doesn't I'm not gonna, not gonna cater to the the current trends, or I'm gonna do what I'm passionate right. about. Right, I think she's like an interesting dot. If you're connecting the dot, particularly between uh, female singer songwriters, you have like Joni Mitchell. I think absolutely connects up to Kate Bush, and then I think you can almost draw like a straight line from there up to like Saint Vincent today, Annie Clark, mm-hmm. Saint Vincent, mm-hmm. and you you have this incredible voice and. Sometimes I think the quality of the voice, like the purity of the voice, almost distracts and, from how good they really are at just and interesting writing. interesting musically, too. Yes. Is, is she, does she perform instruments as well? I'm not even sure. So I'm reading here, and I, I don't see anything about that, but it does say she started producing all her own albums since 1982. So she's she produced all of them since then. So this one was produced by her. She also was the first uh, British artist, female artist, to have a top... Um, a number one hit, and I was with her first album when she was 18. There, there's a Pitchfork magazine, which now mostly exists, I guess, as an online presence. Was it ever a printed magazine? It had to have been. Not right? that I know of. Was it always online? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, they do this series where they interview uh, hip-hop artists and ask them about songs that influenced them, and they... they um, interview uh big boy from outcast and he references running up that hill by kate bush that's That's like one of the songs that influenced him and he shares he's very just off the top of his head able to share like the lyrics to his favorite verse from running up that hill it's that's right and i think i think kanye talks about kate bush i mean i think it's kind of it's kind of a thing out there in the hip-hop world that she's influential all right cool so next we have what 1987 Unless you guys are done with your eighty, aren't done with your eighty six. I think we're done nope. with eighty six. Right. Nor do I have an eighty seven. I've got an eighty seven. I've got an eighty seven too. Let's go with you, Jason. All right, my eighty seven. This is one of my favorite groups of all time. Um, I Oingo Boingo, Dead no, Man's Party. That's wrong. Is that the year it came out? I have no idea. Um, important group to me. They shouldn't be, but they are. But that's not who it is. Uh, so nice try, buddy. Uh, it's by, it's a, it's a song by The Cure. One of my favorite bands of all time. I was going to say White Snake. I, uh, almost. Yeah. Almost. David, David covered it. I mean, stop distracting me, guys. <laughs> you guys know my, you know my I'm weakness. Throw you off. You know my weakness for you get distraction. Going, uh, it's The Cure. <laughs> uh, super obvious pick. I wanted to pick something more obscure, more of a deep cut, but I feel like this song, which is probably like one of their most well-known songs, if not their most well-known, is the best representation of them. It's all of them at the peak of their powers. It's just like heaven from Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Um, and as you're getting it queued up, I, the, 
I don't know what to say about the cure. Plenty has been said about them. Um, I'm trying to think, what would I say about the cure? They are, who's in it? Uh, Robert Smith is the famous front man, big hair, um, sad guy makeup. And, uh, just it's it's unfortunate that he's still sticking to that. He's he's a presence. <laughs> like they're still touring, right? He's or remained on he he's remained on brand for decades. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the cool th- so the thing for about the cure then. they're so fascinating to me because they kind of I think they get blamed or credit however you want to look at at it as like being the roots of what turned into like eventually like goth rock emo rock like these weird genres. The weird thing about that is the cure is a pop group. Like they really are a pop group. They wrote really, really catchy song songs, um, but they would always build in like this kind of a little bit darker emotion to it, some type of sadness or heartbreak. It was a much more like fragile front man. There was there wasn't like this strong masculinity. It was a mm-hmm. guy getting his heart broken and singing about it. But they would sing about fun, poppy stuff as well. But they would build in like some minor chord transitions. And it was just enough to take what would be like a normal bubblegum pop song and make it really interesting. And I think, you know, it, and it, when a band can do that, I think then they've got something really, really significant. And that's probably partially why they're still able to go out and and do what they do. But I freaking love The Cure. Um, I almost had, I, I was that close to picking Boys Don't Cry for the 70s because that came out in 79. And then I needed room for something else. So I said, no, I'll get them in the 80s. Had to preserve them. They're one of my all-time favorites. It's a good pick. I'm yeah. glad they landed on the list. So yeah. Robert Smith, I know, uh, of course, I don't. I can't name any of the other band members. I, I feel know? bad that I couldn't either. So it seems like I don't know. I mean, he's like de- they don't stand out as distinctive personalities as much as it's no, like definitely just, not. Just Robert Smith and and he. And I don't know that he boys, would even be thrilled about that fact. But what are you going to do? What I mean. He's a person. He's a human. If you saw a silhouette, I'm and sure didn't if I was obsessed face, with them, you would know who in he high was. school as I was with Depeche Mode. Like I can name all the Depeche Mode guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just like Kevin. Here we go. Every ingredient is in it is yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's just, it's so well put together. This might be the perfect eighties song, in a, and I mean that and in that, the best that way. That classic Cure guitar. Does it, it seems like they've always had that guitar yeah. sound. It's very distinct. Like it, it, it's to them like what the uh, the Edges guitar is for you too. Don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it when i can get like truly lost in a song where i can kind of forget 
what I'm doing. And you already know I get distracted way too easy. So it's not like it's that great of an accomplishment. <laughs> but um, this is a song, like if this comes on, almost regardless of what I'm doing, I'll kind of forget what I'm doing and just be caught in the song. Just mm. pulls me into it for whatever reason. Scratches me right where I itch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume you guys have heard the Dinosaur Jr. cover of this. I've not. No. Oh, for reals? Yeah. It's pull it up. It's actually I don't think I have. It's so good. It's one of my favorite covers. That would be that'll be a fun episode to do at some point, our favorite covers. But this so Dinosaur Jr., I think in the eighties, just a couple years after this, covered this song, and it's so Jay Mascus, it's so perfectly Jay Mascus. says this came out in 1987. Yeah. <laughs> like right after. <laughs> and it's so perfect, Jay Mascus. This is like the pretty part of it. And then when you get to the chorus, he just goes all in. He wants to melt your face. <laughs> Well, it makes sense, because it is a very popular song for cover bands. It is. Now that John Sir Jr. was a cover band, but... Nice. Anyway. I like it. That's my pick. Good pick. Good pick. Yeah. I uh, I like how, yeah, generally you think of The Cure as moody, depressing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the the vibe, I guess, they, they throw out. It's the aesthetic, for yeah. sure. Like, visually, especially. Mm-hmm. But and this isn't their only really poppy one no. like that. They've got a ton. It, it, yeah. If you get what's it called, "Staring at the Sea," the singles like kind mm-hmm. of the classic Cure album. It's a pop album. I mean, you right. have some dark. Every moments. song is like, oh, this is a good but pop song. It's a, a pop song. Yeah, I and mean, then they have their moments. I mean, like "Lullaby" is a that's a dark song, but it's it still is like a kind of a weird like fantastic. It's like a yeah. like a fairy tale. Well, the 80s, I kept on harping on this well, last time. The 80s, well, duh, everything was poppy. Here's the problem. The band members have changed several times with guitarist, lead vocalist, and songwriter Robert Smith, the only constant member. Hmm. No wonder. So it's his baby. Yeah. It's his baby. I bet Pete Bowman knows all the members. I bet he's really disappointed yeah. at yes. uh, how poorly our we're stock, representing. He's like, why do these guys it. have a podcast? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> we're, we're sorry. Again, we've just proven again why we don't deserve one. <laughs> Hey, we're doing we're doing all right for having fifteen subscribers. <laughs> all you need is a couple mics and a mixing board. <laughs> uh, so that's all. Okay. All so right. You have an eighty-seven. Moving on to eighty-seven. Yeah. So the the artist I've got is Run DMC. Mm. The song I've got it's not their top song. It's it's just the song I like the most from that era. Um, it's called "It's Tricky" by Run DMC, uh, and Run DMC is. Arguably, arguably one of, if not the most important, kind of hip hop groups. Um, they changed. Uh, they were. They came at a moment you when said arguably the most important hip hop group. Yes, in, in terms of historically speaking. Okay. Um, and arguably, meaning you can argue with it, but but it's not. It's not like a reach to say that, right? Some people might put other groups out there, but they kind of cemented hip hop as not just you know rhyming over like funky beats but actually as like a culture and like a of a whole 
uh, where that where fashion, where kind of an ethos and kind of a, a whole cultural thing came along with it. And since then, hip hop has arguably again been been one of the most powerful driving forces in pop culture. Well, I don't think it's arguable. I remember I I produced the uh, I, I brought the the research that that backed that up. It, That's it right. proved that they were more influential than the hip hop was more influential than the, than the Beatles. Beatles. Oh yeah. wow! How yeah, yeah. how interesting <laughs> that it circles back. <laughs> how fascinating that a genre could be more influential than a single band. <laughs> than a single band. <laughs> Yeah, so I stand, I stand that, that's by the only way to cut down the Beatles a, a notch. Be like, well, this entire genre is actually more influential than the Beatles. So, interestingly enough, before see, before Run DMC, <laughs> Brandon, we were talking about this over the yeah. weekend. I was trying to get you into hip hop a little bit, and you were the songs that were mostly beat driven and didn't have more melody. You were kind of saying. See, it's hard for me to listen to this because it's just this beat without more of a melody. Feels like that time I went to that race. So Run DMC is partly <laughs> to thank for that. So if you don't like that, because before them, it was, you know, Africa Bombada. It was uh, Grandmaster Flash. It was it was more funky and disco beats. And then also the style of clothing was a little more flashy and a little more like disco influenced and they brought and kind glamorous. of a hard edge so you had like the the, the sugar hill gang came before then and rapper's delight like gets a lot of credit it was basically a disco song it's mm-hmm. not really considered like pure hip-hop because the aesthetic and kind of the cultural piece wasn't fully right run dmc um really brought like an edge and a kind of a, a kind of a street authenticity to it and they were innovative, really, really innovative. But the early innovation, like under today's microscope, isn't as impressive as it was then. And so I think sometimes it gets lost. Like, I'm not certain how many people would have them on, like real hip hop heads would have them in their Mount Rushmore of all time greatest hip hop but if you're doing like all time most important, I don't think there's any question that they're there. But they, it's interesting because if you go back, like they really easily get lost, especially to what happens in the early '90s. You go back and listen to it; it sounds really good. Like they, their stuff was good. Yeah, good really stuff. Good. Kind of simplistic, stripped down, and it was very beat heavy. And and then they their their style of clothing um, was uh, was totally different. They went like the leather jacket, the chains, the Adidas kind of. The without laces or or other. I was fascinated by the the podcast that Jason sent me, the Broken Record podcast, mm-hmm. where it's uh, Rick Rubin interviewing Daryl McDaniel's DMC. DMC, and yeah, fascinating stuff. Where they got into some of that history of what what hip hop was doing at the time and how uh, I guess they were trying to capture like the the live stuff that was happening a lot, but wasn't nobody was necessarily right. recording it. Right, 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 and and it and it worked, and it took off. The parties, and, and on then the everyone was copying them and d- dressing like them, and then that's one of the things with not just hip hop, but it seems like all the genres of music. There's these pendulum sh- shifts, and like some someone does something new, and then people kind of gravitate towards it, and it, it holds court for a while, and then there's a swing somewhere else. Let's yeah. listen to it's, it's tricky. tricky. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. It's a tricky. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. It's tricky. 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 It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. 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 I met this little girlie. Her hair 
was kinda curly. Went to her house and bust her out. I had to leave real early. These girls are really sleazy. All they just say is please me. Or spend some time and rock a rhyme. I said it's not that easy. It's tree to rock around, to rock around. That's right, our time is tricky. How is it be? You can definitely hear the like the Beastie Boys were totally influenced by they worshipped these guys, you yeah. know, and loved them. And and they were coming up similar time but right kind of right after but the, and they also came out of kind of the same like laboratory like right. this was rick rubin and this was russell yep. simmons def jam which was very innovative and they were using um you know what, what were the the 808 mm-hmm. um drum machines to make right. a very distinct like boom bap hip-hop sound and so it was the beat was so much a part of it yep. and this and the Beastie Boys and LL, LL Cool, cool J, J yeah. kind of came out of that same, really was like right. a laboratory that produced yeah. just incredible, and incredible I think, stuff. And I think Run DMC was the first hip-hop to get like a gold record, first to get like all the kind of milestones at first of like, okay, this is a this is a genre that actually can first on the cover make Rolling money. Stone. Yeah. Which, which once true? it started making money, that. of course. He, he keeps saying that in, in that Rick Rubin in, Oh, in the... Oh, that's right. In, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is my hip hop pick of the '80s. I don't I don't have any other from the '80s. Although I like other songs from the '80s, this is the one I I, I chose. So let's move on to what's our, what's next? '88. I've got an '88. I've got an '88. As do I. Okay. Well, I will continue that uh, continue that theme. Um, another really important hip hop group from the '80s. This one's Public Enemy. Seems a different mood to me than Run DMC. Run DMC seems a lot more playful. Um, I mean, that's... It's tricky. Uh, very... It's, it just feels very fun. They were making dance music and party yeah. music. They weren't necessarily trying to make, like, a strong social statement. Yeah. Whereas Public Enemy, right off the bat... Uh, is this their first album? I think this is their second album. I assume this, I assume this is off It Takes a Nation of Millions yeah. to back. So I, had, I think they had one before called Yo Bum Rush the Show, if I remember right. Yeah. But you can tell, I mean, from their from their group name, Public Enemy, album name, Takes a Nation of Millions Told Us Back, they're up, being upfront about being very political um, and just talking about the way that they're experiencing life. Um, so from this album, I'm going with... Can I uh, guess? Sure. Bring the Noise. That's it. Nice. Bring the Noise. Track number two on the album. Um, I just love the way this track starts. So good. Yeah. Here we go. Public Enemy, bring the noise. Too strong. Too black. Too strong. Yo, Chuck, these honey drippers are still front on us. So that we can do this. Because we always do this. <laughs> yeah, boy. Bass, how low can you go? Death row. What a brother know once again. Back is the incredible rhyme animal. Public enemy number one, five folks said freeze, and I got numb. Can I tell them that I really never had a gun? But it's the wax that the Terminator X bun. Now they got me in the cell, took my records, they sell. Cause a brother like me said, well, Farrakhan's a prophet and I think you want to listen to what he can say to you. What you ought to do is follow for now. Power the people say, make a miracle, keep up the lyrical. Black is back, all in, we're gonna win, check it out.
so <laughs> that is that was great yeah that's great there's just so much going on in this song and a lot of the other songs on this album too so like you're, you're mentioning how my my problem with a lot of hip-hop that i've encountered is the repetitiveness of it right and i don't think public enemy suffers from that um each you know, each verse, uh, there's just so much variety going mm-hmm. on. And it, it's changing up. It's got drum fills in there. It's got, uh, I don't know. Their styles feel, are song, very different, yeah, too. The song they're, feels so intense. Their verbal style, the styles. It's just like coming at yeah. you in that, that like siren. Yeah. So yeah. I have I have an 88 off this same album. Yeah? Yeah. Let's well, hear it. Because yeah. I told you the other day, I, I'm guessing you didn't have the same one as me because I... I picked up the yada public enemy public enemy one of my all-time favorite groups hip-hop rock or otherwise um so i have another one off this album and then i'll kind of give you my spiel on this album but go with uh night of the living bass heads hmm. um i don't the, know i don't know this song this song is so the whole album is commentary on what was going on in their neighborhoods um each song is addressing different things you know anything from um police brutality to um, crime that was being experienced. Night of the Living Baseheads specifically is dealing with the drug infiltration, how crack had infiltrated the streets. Basehead's a term for a, a, a druggie, somebody using crack. And so this song specifically kind of serves as a warning, and it uses the same kind of they take a JB's sample mm. horn sample and they turn it into basically a siren that runs yeah. through the whole song. And it makes this really, really like urgent elevated feel to the song. It's, it's fascinating how they pulled it together. Anyway, I'll have you hit play and then give you. That once we were brought here, we were robbed of our name, robbed of our language. We lost our religion, our culture, our God. And many of us, by the way we act, we even lost our mind. Here it is. Bam. And you say, God damn, this is a dope jam. But let's define the term called dope. And you think it ain't funky now. No, here is a true tale. Why the ones that deal, all the ones that fail. Yeah, you can move if you want to move. What it prove? It's here like the groove. The problem is this. We got to fix it. Check out the justice and how they run it. Selling, smelling, sniffing, riffing. And brothers try to get swift in. Out of their own, rob a home while some shrivel a bone like comatose walking around. Please don't confuse this with the sound. I'm talking about So he samples himself right there from Bring the Noise. So good. They're doing some Beatles Abbey Road stuff there. Harkening back to earlier songs. They were. So many references, by the way. A nice. Th- so they started mm-hmm. off on Def Jam. They got the Rock the Bells reference, which is an LL Cool J mm-hmm. reference. Mm-hmm. There's a nice bridge here in a minute where they use a, a David Bowie song. It's so good. It just goes, everything comes clean. Mm-hmm. And you have this nice. Who did their music production? That's what I'm going to get to. That's kind of the most important part for this album. Suck the tash is a meal for kids that make cash. Selling drugs to the brother man instead of the other man. Brothers and sisters! I'm talking about... It's it's still surprising to me with... Because they've, they've got this fascinating mixture of 
like a urgent message. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can tell the the power behind their Chuck D's voice, right. um, but still combined with the sense of fun. Yeah, like uh, which still I entertaining, think is pretty, pretty still unique. Fun. I mean, which Flavor Flav probably. I wonder if that's. The point of having him in it? I think it was part... He's very goofy. Chuck D was very... Like, his goal was to educate. It was to educate his people. Um, He didn't feel like history books were giving a proper education, and he wanted to educate through his music. So they wanted to entertain. He knew that they had to be entertaining. And so he's like your classic straight man. He's very, very... serious and urgent with his delivery similar to gil scott heron that we heard before and then he brings in flavor Flav, who's kind of this like almost like a caricature that brings this element of kind of fun and interest to it so they're um they're, they, they bounce off each other so they do. so they well do. their producer was a guy named um Terminator X, and then on this album, what had happened? There was an album that came before this by a group called Eric B and Rakim, mm-hmm. and I, it's a really important album called Paid in Full. Um, almost was going to pick something off that, but yeah. I, this this album was just too good. So Paid in Full came out, and Chuck D was like discouraged. They had already put out um, Yo Bum Rush the Show, and he's like, "Oh man, that album." is really, really good. We got to do something to compete with that. So they use this group called the Bomb Squad, which is this kind of famous production team that makes really, really dense, like puts samples together like a puzzle, mm-hmm. kind of like with Abbey Road you talked about. And yeah. they bring in... So that song, um, Night of the Living Bass Head, has over uh, 20 samples in it that they piece together. And it's these small, small pieces like the siren that's a JB's horn or a David Bowie hook. And they piece it together, basically take it and turn it into completely something different and tell this story with the music. And it's so, that's what I love about an album like this is you could listen to that album now and you wouldn't necessarily know like what, year it came out right. mm-hmm. because the, the I think it was so innovative then and still is and it's so masterfully put together um it's just it's a really really important album not just in the world of hip hop but in music in general and then when you add in that it had a lot of really serious stuff to say it's I think it's kind of like the perfect manifestation of what what music and art can do when it really has something to say but it's also really entertaining and interesting to us just on like a, a personal taste level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the way they pick. came together, like I feel like this album and their next album, which is um, fear of a black planet. They're so unique. They almost transcend the genre of hip hop to the point of just almost being like, almost like an alternative rock album or something. It's, it's not like anything you're accustomed to hearing. I'll have to check that one out. I don't think I've listened to that album, Fear of, Fear of a Black Planet. What What was the main... Set Fight the that? Power on that Fight one? the Power. Okay, so... Fear, yeah, Fear, Fear, have, nine, Fear of a Black Planet Does is, that have 911 as a joke yeah. in your town? Okay, so that, that, that one might one be know, a top 10, top 8 album of all time for me, okay. of of anything. I I absolutely love that album. Excellent pick, excellent pick. Are we moving on to 1988? 1988? That was 88. Yeah. Okay. I've got another 88. You go, and then I'll go. I went just before this. Okay, I'll go. go. 1988, one of my favorite performers, artists, um, 
this is this is t- bringing it back to the mellow where I find my home kind of. Mm. This is Shade. I would I would not have guessed that of you. Shade, no. 1988. The song is stronger than Pride, and <coughs> she's got great albums in the Shade 80s, was a last minute the 90s, cut for mine. She, she was on my list until about a week before we recorded. Yeah. And I was super bummed to to get rid of her. I had the sweetest taboo on my list. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such a good song. And and she uh, the her band, the backing band is really even though I mean they were smart. They they had their own band. They met her. She was separate she, um, from them. They met in London. And they and they teamed up. Okay, you'll be our front singer. But but her band, her guitarist, I can't remember his name, and uh, bass player write most of her songs. Maybe all of them. I don't know. And they've released albums, including in the 80s, lyrics, nineties, two thousands. I don't know who writes the lyrics, but they write the tunes. I think it's somewhat collaborative, but it's definitely there's musicians that are kind of driving yeah. it. But she's got her own musical and performing quality that's that definitely makes it. And uh, stronger than pride is definitely my one of my top songs of hers. songs that i'm familiar with i don't know that i've heard this one before she's got a lot of great songs um i don't know if this was a single it's on one of her like best of hits Mm -hmm. you've just lulled Uh, us all into a just a sweet relaxation Mm -hmm. this is a sweetest taboo a sweetest taboo no no, there was no taboo (laughs) (laughs) yeah sade uh i think i i was uh Turned on to her by my cousin, who's, who listened to her a lot, and then, um, but but not until I was older. You know, like I wasn't listening to Sade when I was thirteen or fourteen. Like it was like it's like adult yeah. contemporary kind of smooth jazz style. But then it's, it's like get a into solo it, Paul McCartney. Like it wasn't made for teenagers. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I've, I've never you hacked your playlist. I'm like, guessing you currently have Sade like yeah. in rotation. Sh- I, I haven't listened to it as much as I did like say throughout my 20s and 30s. But um, but yeah, it's definitely I've never got, gotten old of Sade. It's good, great pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. and she's got albums in the 90s and in the 2000s that are excellent. So yeah, yeah, I really dig yeah. her voice. There's is it really like, unique? She's, yeah, one of a kind. Yeah, the sound of, of her songs. If you want, if you, I'm not a big fan of live concert videos, like you know, watching a DVD of a live concert, but she's got a couple of them. I've had friends that you know, my friends who we were all in like jazz funk bands at college and stuff, and we had a band and the bass player and the drummer who was my cousin. They were all into Sade and kind of neo soul stuff and like R and B and soul, Al Green, everything going back and. 
they one of them had the Sade concert live concert video two different ones and we sat down and watched it one time and we were as you know 23 year olds transfixed watching <laughs> musically and because she's so beautiful and has such a beautiful voice but it, if you lo- like the sound of these recordings and the band how tight they were and how how much she was like interacting with them and just kind of with the music if you watch the you could find on youtube you, you can tell she has a great amazing. ear and a and a great interest in all the details cuz her songs always like every detail of them just comes together good and and just it's like well produced stuff yeah very well produced props to Sade and her her mates her bandmates yeah. okay mine uh, from 1988 this is Tracy Chapman um talking about singer songwriters this is uh this, this is one that she does not feel like the 80s to me at all. Mm-mm. I think this is leading into what would be very popular in the 90s. I thought of her as 90s, yeah. Yeah, um, she, I had her on my list last minute cut as well. But this, yeah, her first album came out in 1988. Um, and so it's it's going to feel very different from the the other things we've we've been playing. There's, I think it's all acoustic instruments. Her, her and acoustic guitar, there's some, some drums and bass. And... Again, she's got a really distinctive voice, really, really powerful in kind of a quiet way. Um, but there's this, this honesty and intenseness to it, and that I, yeah, I really dig this. Um, so I'm going. This is probably her her best known song. She's she's got a few. She had quite a few hits um, over the years. But I'm going with Fast Car. Um, I I don't know a ton about her history, but from what I can tell, it looks like it sounds like she needed some persuading to uh, get the, get this recorded. Like she had all these songs, and there were some people that were impressed with her, and had to had to hound her a little bit to come in and and record the album. I don't know if she just didn't think she was ready for it, or huh, wanted to keep the songs to herself, or or what. But thankfully, they were persistent and and got her. In the studio. Interesting, yeah. So here we go. Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. You get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove Goosebumps It got me, it did mm-hmm. it to me And then it's coming again when the Who chorus comes Who plays the bass in. on this? It's so deep, so good Yeah, I think it's your mom <laughs> Jason's mom on bass Managed to save just a little bit of money Won't have to drive too far Just across the border and into the city You and I can both get jobs And finally see what it means to be living See, my old man's got a problem Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is This is a deep song, too Like, this is a really transcendent song for anyone that's like just ever f- like felt pain like this is a yeah. great song so good 
you can hear how different the production is than that 80s sound that we've mm-hmm. been kind of listening. It's definitely ushering the change that's that that typifies yeah. the 90s. That strip both down. in st- subject matter, yeah. production quality. Yeah, listen to this. It it blows me away that it took this long. Like we had a chunk of what six or seven years where no one played an acoustic guitar. Like, <laughs> right. Driving in your car, speed so fast, I felt like I was drunk. City lights day out before, and your arm felt nice, wrapped around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. So I'm just yeah, looking, I'm, I'm looking at her discography right now. Like, this is somebody we, I don't know. I don't know what is responsible for her career arc, like what happened. We needed to hear way more of her. She mm-hmm. had an, So this album was her debut. Mm-hmm. Then she has an album in 89, 92, 95, 2000, 2002, 2005, 2008. So, I yeah. mean, she's made stuff. Tons that I've never heard. But we needed to hear way more of her. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I want to figure out what, like what happened with her career arc. Um, is this like a Lauren Hill situation where she just kind of ducked the limelight intentionally or did the, the industry just never like do with her what they should have. But wow, there's no, like it, there's, there's gotta be some alternate universe somewhere where she was like a much bigger star and we just heard a ton from her where she has like a Neil Young type discography <laughs> with just yeah. lots and lots to say. Yeah. I wonder if they, you know, it's hard to say not, not knowing the albums, I've heard "Give Me One Reason" from right. uh, from New Beginning. So, oh, that was a lot later than I thought. Ninety ninety five. That one came out. It's, it's um, kinda, I think it's hard too when you come out this strong with your debut. Like if this is your debut, it's big expectations. So hard to follow that up. And then and then right after that, you had the the grunge explosion pretty quick. Yeah, but but there was still. I mean, she, I. She had to have been a big influence on the other things that were happening in the early and mid nineties. Um, like I know she's I would guess Alanis Morissette. That yeah, type of thing. I know she's really important. What she's actually doing, she feels more like Bob Dylan, Sam mm-hmm. Cooke. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, soulfulness. Yeah, the soulfulness there. What's well, that authenticity piece too? Mm-hmm. That, that is, I think, like kind of the secret ingredient if you're really going to be an effective singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great pick. Love it. Love Tracy Chapman. Um, I didn't even look her up because in my head, I think I thought of her and I thought, oh, I think that's early nineties and I didn't even check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had her. She's on my honorable mention. Um, I was bummed out not to include it, but I knew I could count on you. Way to gotcha. come through in the clutch, Brandon. <laughs> you guys have saved my butt so multiple times. I'm done with all of my eighties. I got, two, I've got two eighty nines. Two eighty nines. What do you have, Brandon? Two eighty nines. Okay. Yep. Let's go. Brand- let's go. Jason and back and forth. To okay. and back. All right. 1989. Um, I'm delving into the world of, of DC hardcore. I'm going Fugazi. Yeah. Oh, all right. You have a Fugazi? Yeah, you bet I Is do. Is probably the same one off of 13 songs, Waiting Room? That's the one. All right. What are yeah. the odds? Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I mean, it's... If you want a gateway into Fugazi, this is... This is absolutely the song. It's catchy. It sticks out. It's infectious. They have kind of... Uh, they have two guys that serve as lead singer and and this is uh ian mckay right this is Mm -hmm. this is the more accessible of the two voices um i think 
that you hear. Sometimes. Yeah, that's true. They alternate in accessibility that's true. depending that's what true. they're doing with um, said voice. <laughs> but this, I love this song. This I can't is, remember how to pronounce the other singer's name. Guy. Pico, I don't know. I've, Pico I'm embarrassed to even attempt. <laughs> yeah. Pico Lodo, Pico Lodo. I don't know how you say it, dude. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is like DC had a really interesting music scene where they 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 kind of helped form a real DC sound. You've got Minor Threat, Bad Brains, um, Fugazi probably being the most notable that, that came out of there, but it was this kind of straight edge influenced hardcore that punk that was really, really raw, told a, a really, I think, important story, expressed something important. With Fugazi, it happened that they could really play as well. Like, Fugazi and Bad Brains were both really good musicians, and this whole album is, it's a really cool album. It's a, it's a great, like you said, gateway into kind of this world that's not like pop punk. It's not the, kind of that gap punk um, that would become popular in the late 90s mid 90s mm -hmm. this is a real like raw experience this it's it's super cool i love it i still yeah. listen to fugazi from time to time all the time let's hear it do i talked a lot you want to say anything about it i will after intro has one of my favorite pauses of all time in a song sound of like a buzz saw this is just back and forth <laughs> musically chopping a tree down These guys make great use of having the, the two vocalists. Yeah. They, they started out just as, as a three-piece, but uh, one of the other guys in the band had been in a different band with Guy Picciotto. Picciotto? I don't know. Sounds Picciotto. good to me. <laughs> um, and so he, he comes to their practices and starts hanging out, and um, they decide, hey, it would be cool to have him in the, in the band, too. And... Um, Ian, he he said that uh, one of their main ideas was like they got this idea from hip hop stuff, like what Public Enemy's doing with with Chuck D and Flava Flav. How they they have yeah. the uh, what's what's the term for that? Like what, you'll have a lead vocalist, yeah, call and response. You'll have a lead vocalist and then another one that, and you can hear it in this song where. In this case, Ian's in the well. Front, now that you mentioned that, in the they, back and yeah, that's mm -hmm. super common. Like mm -hmm. I've never thought about it that way, but that's definitely like an ingredient in Fugazi songs. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this isn't the only one. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I'm embarrassed to say I, I don't know Fugazi well. I, I I took a trip with friends in high school. One of them had Fugazi, so I probably heard the song, but I don't remember it other than just right now. And it's so it's they, awesome. Makes me want to go listen to they more. They were sure. they like 
probably hurt themselves commercially really bad. They kind of famously like, do I remember right? They like wouldn't sell like much in the way of merchandise. They weren't interested in major labels. They they did their own yeah. thing on Discord. They're, it, they were like the Bernie Sanders. It was like of, the, yeah, it was like the punk, punk aesthetic music. coming back. Which was like, all we're not part of sell that. Out. Which was, was which was all Bernie part of that. Sanders makes plenty of money right. off his, his book. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was all part of that straight edge aesthetic as right. well. Like they were kind of you're they fake were if you make money off fighting this. against yeah. partying, alcohol, drugs. Like they were they were very principle driven. It's about the in, music and what they did. Yeah. Um, McKay famously like grew up best pals with Henry Rollins too, didn't he? Like they were pals from early on. And then Rollins obviously mm-hmm. went over and did his, uh, did his black, his flag. black flag thing. Um, yeah, my McKay and minor threat, that was a big influence on that scene. Um, but I think Fugazi has a lot more staying power. I mean, there's a reason Minor Threat songs are as short as they are, right? Because you know <laughs> they knew how to play power chords, and but it was cool for for how old they were and what experience they had. Um, but then with Fugazi, yeah, they bring this this element of complexity to it. He they they had two guitarists, um, but it's very rare for them to be playing the same thing. Right? Though it's more. And and it's not a ton like of like regular chords either. Yeah. It's uh, more odd. Like if I'm just listening to a song trying to figure it out by ear, good luck with Fugazi's song. It's it's got some weird chords in there, not not your your standard not power your chord stuff. Um, and really cool percussion things. And you mentioned the the production, the business side of it. So he uh, Ian Mackay founded or was one of the founders of Discord Records. Right. Um, which puts out all of Fugazi and some other some other bands too that are signed to him. Yeah, and he was, I think, even to this day. Like, I was listening to some interview with him, and I think they still only have three employees. Like, it's just run out of someone's house or something like that. Um, very do it yourself. Yeah. Um, all in line. Like I said, very the whole process from the music to the production, to the release, to the merchandising is all principle driven. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really actually cool. And they've, they've never strayed, from never that. strayed from that. I, I remember that going to Crandall audio to buy the, when their new albums came out and they would print like the guy, the record stores couldn't put their own price tag on it. Cause it was printed on the yeah. CD label, 10 bucks. Yep. And they never charged wow. more. Yeah. That's cool. Shirts, shirts at the shows were ten bucks. Tickets for the concert were ten bucks. Probably start out even lower than that. But you know, they're touring Salt Lake, and came here you're playing at a decent sized venue. Still ten bucks. Ten bucks show. So yeah, it was. Uh, Which cool, again cool means they, they were too. never going to get promoted by the ticket masters of the world. So right. so they were always. But going, it wasn't that they didn't have offers either. Right. That's like the thing. That's labels. what I said. They they, they could have changed. Chose, said, okay. Well, they we'll very deliberately more. chose their path because yeah. they had they had enough appeal and enough of a kind of yeah. a cult following. They could have been, I think, huge, but it would have violated their their whole ethos. That's some integrity there. Here's a here's my favorite quote from him. Um, <clears throat> from uh, Ian McKay. From the beginning of this label, people have said that the way we do things is unsustainable, unrealistic, idealistic, and we were just dreaming. Well, the dream is now 35 years old, so they can go themselves. 
Nice. How rock and roll yeah. is that? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, to be able to do that for. I'm going to listen to some Fugazi because that's not just not just the ethos, but that song was pretty. That song. Pretty awesome. So that song, uh, or that album, thirteen songs. That's kind of your perfect place to start. I think it's technically considered a comb- compilation. Um, it's two EPs. That yeah, were then. two EPs combined. Um, seven songs in what was the other one? Uh, repeater? No, repeater was an album. Anyway, right. there's plenty. Then my other 89 pick is uh, similar, well, same, same as Jason's, but different song. I'm going with The Cure. My favorite song of theirs, Pictures of You. Uh, again, it was toss-up between, between those two. If you're going to go with one, for me, if you're going to go with one Cure song, it's one or the other. Hey, we got them both. Vastly, vastly different <clears throat> moods um, <laughs> where... Now I'm spacing on the name of <laughs> Just Like Heaven. <laughs> Robert yeah. Smith. Where Just Like Heaven is so mm. poppy, upbeat, and then Pictures of You is the uh, the other the other side, just very mournful. Um, Which is probably the bro- more commonly heart. associated with The Cure. Yeah. And this is from their album, Disintegration, which, uh, would anyone disagree that's their best album? Uh, I don't think so, but they had a run of like for just like irrefutably great mm-hmm. albums yeah so many great songs on on this one i mean you got fascination street you got uh love song lullaby is that L- the one with spider-man yeah, yeah. L- lullaby is so weird but it might be my favorite song on that album it's so eerie and it's so good and it blows me away this is 1989 the cure's been at it for 10 years at least is releasing albums and to come out with a masterpiece like this one 10 years into it yeah um and then they kept going after that too so let's let's hear some of those pictures viewed by the cure tail end of the 80s like mm-hmm. music's gonna change pretty quick um but i i think this is this song in particular is for me the best representation of what this type of band like the the mournful british uh heart on the sleeve kind of mm-hmm. kind of band was trying to do yeah a lot a lot of them um but i i think this is the the most successful one it's i, I love pinnacle. that we got them both because 
by getting just like heaven and then this you get this really nice picture of a really really like mm-hmm. weirdly versatile band mm-hmm. considering they're not like I mean they're I think they're pretty universally considered just like a single genre like it's not like people don't have a hard time defining who they are but yeah. they were weirdly versatile within that they and they were just really good songwriters they wrote catchy stuff the, yeah. that long intro with no lyrics as repetitive as it is and kind of simple it does work to, it worked for me in terms of when his voice comes in the voice is more powerful and there's more you're mm-hmm. kind of already like riding this wave of like this ambient groundwork of the of the sound when his voice comes in it's very like you're you're ready for it but you're also just like with mm-hmm. it, it and somehow the, somehow their songs don't feel dated to me in the way that most 80s music does they're yeah, still they're still mm-hmm. using the the keyboards but <clears throat> somehow the way it's it's we, integrated we, with, with collectively the also. collectively we had very little gated drums in our mm-hmm. selections which is obviously like as much a personality test for us as it is anything but um I think we all favor something that is somewhat mm-hmm. transcendent. I mean, it's fun to hear stuff that's era specific, but it, it, I think, but this yeah. this particular era, like that's one of my, I think one of my challenges with the eighties is is specifically that gated drum piece when it mm-hmm. when it's so prominent, it just it feels like a gimmick. Sometimes, well, the, and the mixture of things because we heard it on, I mean, a few things, but um, well, Phil Collins gets well, credit for inventing yeah. it, and and Kate Bush has it on her on her song, but. There's 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 certain songs that I think that mixed with other elements sounds so poppy so yeah. that it's almost like it's, mm-hmm. you can listen to it only ironically almost right. but I don't think the Cure even though they have a distinct eighty sound like it's, to it's your point it doesn't they, feel like you're listening to it ironically at least almost always they had real drums yeah. yeah and their guitar was always more forward in the mix than the yeah. keyboard was yeah well and I think so it has to do that, with the emotion too in it, it comes across yeah. as the, something they're more of a traditional like rock band than I think people probably realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is an indication though of fun kind of, thing, but. Yeah. of really good music. Like there's certain music that just developmentally there's certain rock bands that developmentally write songs that are going to appeal to like a rebellious or an emotional 16 and 17 year old. Mm-hmm. And I think something like The Cure or The Beatles or even Led Zeppelin like the I think the what separates them in greatness is that they were their art transcends just that age of rebellion and emotion to where if it's still appealing now um I think that's a good indication that it wasn't just songs for an emotional 16 year old mm-hmm. it was actually like I think objectively good mm-hmm. which is in part yeah. what we're trying to do here like figure out what that is mm-hmm. yeah so cool good stuff. Good I, got, I got one more. Let's hear okay. it. Let's hear it. Bring us I'm home. just kidding. I got two more. Ooh. I'm just messing with you. I only got one more. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this is another favorite band. I went I went double hip hop. Um, this is off, I think, one of the coolest albums of all time. Uh, I'm going to guess. Paul's Boutique, Beastie yeah. Boys. Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. It My favorite of their albums. Felt like a crime not to include this. Shake your rump. Yeah, I'm going to go shake your rump. And the thing, so this, this, I'll just give you my kind of rundown on this album and then we can listen to it and then wrap up the decade. Um, My 
so the album was produced by they brought in this group called the Dust Brothers, which made like dance music, dance tracks, and they went all in on samples. This was like the Sgt. Peppers of samples, and they, it was highly produced, similar to It Takes a Nation of Millions, um, but I think actually even like a notch above that as far as just um, innovative production and and almost to the point of being like um, avant-garde level. It's incredible what they put together. My brain is a crazy place. I, <laughs> I At any given time... 10 conversations going. I'm very easily distracted. If you want to have an ADHD conversation, let's have it. Um, I am all over the place. And this was the first album I ever heard that felt like a perfect match for what was going on in my head. Because there's so many different things. There are, there's like a hundred ingredients at any given time that are going into this that are part of the but mix it fits and so it well. changes directions like yeah. so quickly and somehow it all fits together and comes together like this this album the I still remember the second I heard it I ran across the street to my friend Mike Benson who we've talked about and I was like you've got to listen to this it was it was that immediate that I needed to share it with yeah. somebody because it was so incredible they just Dust Brothers took amazing samples it's a fun album um, but it's got like this depth of production that makes it, I think an absolute masterpiece. So go hit us with uh, shake your rump from Paul's boutique, a super important album to me personally. Second, you think you figure out like what the sample is or what's going on, it's already moved on to something else. It's so fast paced, and the whole album's really like this. Yep. How this... are they making this sound right here? What is this? That's a weird bass it's effect. So, I don't know. So deep. <laughs> and then it's just gone. <laughs> and that that slap bass right there. So this is super cool because they're pulling in ingredients like classic Def Jam ingredients. Listen up, isn't that Curtis Mayfield? Um, and they're bringing in these classic ingredients, but it's so just like yeah. almost skittish. Just and cre- I think credit has to go to the Dust Brothers, not to downplay the Beastie Boys, but I, I was reading something about this just last week, and I didn't know this that half of the tracks. That on Paul's boutique were done, like the music was already done when the Beastie Boys and and they came and the Dust Brothers thought they were gonna like maybe take one or two and like hey do this but change this but they were like we want to rap over just that yeah. what you already have so the Dust Brothers were a huge part of this they went on to work with Beck and yeah they did tons of tons they... of people but this this album for sure is the drinking of the soda. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, this album has been my favorite of theirs. You know, it's just so good. So good. This is the opening track, too. So, like, what, the first time you get this album, you put it on, you don't know what to expect. It's just a picture on the front. I don't even think it says Beastie Boys on the front. It's this picture of a street in New York. You put it on, and you are immediately pulled into this, yeah. just a whole world. And this was a risky one for them. They had left Def Jam. They they had money, of course, but they didn't have enough money to just live forever. And they were going to go out and do their own thing because there was some. They weren't getting paid like they wanted from yeah. Def Jam. There was kind of a, some bad blood the way they left. And they put together this album, and they knew it was going to be great. And the 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 uh, what is it? The record company went all in on it, and it flopped commercially. Yes. It did not do well. Um, but it was kind of good for them in a way because the, it like it was that kind of integrity thing where it's like. It wasn't like Fugazi where they're not... I mean, they were all in with a record label, but they were trying to do what they wanted to do. And after this came out, then they started playing their instru- their own instruments more, and they kind of took some time, and they, they their whole career shifted, because at this point, they were like, we're the frat party guys. Right. And, that and was they were like, trying to get away from that. That was kind of a persona that they adopted for that album, but that wasn't... They like loved music. They loved listening listening to records from Well, and they eventually regretted that persona. And, like, they had yeah. to uh, intentionally distance themselves from right, it. right. This is a, a great album, great pick. I'm really glad you had it on there because yep. it might be one of my top albums from the decade, and I didn't even put a song on there. George, yeah, I was surprised you didn't have that. Yeah, because who who else do you talk about more than that? I know. Well, that <laughs> that song, right? That's that or that album. Yeah, it's great. So sum up the '80s. What uh, what do you what do you think? What's your takeaway? Good decade, bad decade. I think Where do you rank it in the decades that we've covered? I'm not. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how to rec- rank it. To me, I still drawn to this idea we talked about a little bit. Where in the '70s it seemed like there was very distinct genres, and in the '80s it seemed like everything kind of coalesced. You know, we didn't really talk about the police, but the police were bringing in reggae, and everyone was bringing like disco and punk and reggae, and pop. everything was like coming into this black hole of like pop, and. That was it's kind of interesting, but then it also became very stale and weird and and then stuff kind of shot back out. Like the last like the Tracy Chapman, the Fugazi, it stuff starts kind of going back out into a different different place away from this kind of pristine pop sound. But there's good stuff, there's good artists. It's uh it's a decade that definitely is influenced by the So fact an, that, an interesting thing happened. Yeah. I, I did not anticipate this, but it um I'm gonna use it to to prove one of my opinions. Um, as as just fact and not opinion because I have the right to because do that. Because that's what it is. Um, All Jason's fascinating, opinions are fascinating. facts. Fascinating. Wrap your mind around this. Not a single U2 song picked. I know. I was close with uh, Running to Stand Still, 1987, but I was like, Isn't that crazy? Nah. Like an absolute yeah. behemoth of a rock band, one of the biggest rock bands yeah. of all time. We didn't pick a song. We so didn't put them on there. What it proved in my mind is I think they're a little bit overrated. Mm-hmm. I have my theory on you have to have a certain number of great albums. I think they have like three great albums. I love War. I almost had a, a song off of War on there, but it just it didn't make the cut. I had 10 songs I wanted more yeah. to preserve. Madonna wasn't on our list. Whitney Houston didn't make it. Uh, Michael Jackson did, but only one song. Mm-hmm. Uh, U2 was close for me, and they're on my maybe overrated. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that, the overrated, underrated. What do you, what's your takeaway from the 80s, Brandon? Um, just from making my list, and then especially after hearing both of yours, uh, I think it it goes to show how much variety there really is in 80s mm-hmm. music, even though 
we get, you know, we have a picture of this homogenous mm-hmm. um, kind of sound. Um, but, I mean, you got Talking Heads, Grandmaster Flash, Smiths, Cocteau Twins. That's just on my list. Mm-hmm. And so huge variety in there of individually great stuff. Um, and none of that, like, there's nothing like those things in the previous decades. Yeah. Well, what is there like public enemy in the 70s? Right. Or 60s? Right. Nothing. So very innovative, very different, or, very new. And also, like, uh, maybe, there's probably <coughs> a few more similarities to Talking Heads and maybe the Smiths, but um, yeah, Cure, Cocteau Twins, Fugazi, all that sounds, it's just its own thing. Uh, but doing doing cool new stuff. So let's, I think everybody, let's go around. Everybody mentioned just two honorable mentions, two-ish honorable mentions. We won't play any songs, but just two, unless you want two honorable mentions that you were bummed out you you didn't get to include in your ten. Mm-hmm. Let's see, who wants to go first? Uh, I, I'll go, go real. I'll go, go ahead, fast. Jason. I've got more. I'm gonna. I'll just name them off. Uh, bummed out. I had a Prince song that I didn't put on there. I really wanted to put Prince. I think it's kind of a crime we didn't have a Prince song. Well, you did. No, you did get Kiss on there. I okay. had Prince. Yeah. Uh, Prince. Bad Brains. One of my all-time favorite punk bands. But Fugazi edged him out. Uh, REM. Early REM is super, super good. Uh, crime they weren't on there. The Replacements, The Clash for me, and The Smiths. Um, bummed out. I didn't get them. But it's we more preserved two. Yeah. I, I broke my own okay. rule. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go ahead and break your rule next. So I'm just going to list some. The Pretenders, Squeeze, Everything But The Girl, uh, Cindy Lauper, Lionel Richie, and Diana Ross. Speaking of which, there was a, this 80s was like the decade of duets, mm-hmm. you know, like dramatic, mm-hmm. cheesy duets. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any of those, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for the cheese. So uh, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, or you could go Dolly Parton and, and so Billy Kenny Rogers. Friend, friends uh-huh. listen to Endless Love in the Dark. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Pixies was the, I didn't really have any oh, man, the late pi- 80s yeah. kind yeah. of pre-grunge Pixies stuff. Pixies were a last minute cut for me. I love the Pixies. Uh, Pixies are one, one that favorite bands. Seems, yeah. seems similar to Fugazi for me, like same same spot in the yeah the lineup but yeah. for me I'm for me I go with Fugazi. Yeah, I love 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 the Pixies. Um and bummed I didn't huge, have them on my influence. list. Okay. Uh okay, some of my honorable mentions Dexie's Midnight Runner, Come on Eileen, Paul Simon, Call Me Al, uh Jane's Addiction Mountain Song, Harold Faltermeyer, Axel F. Axel F, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. <laughs> Themed to Beverly Hills yeah. Cop. Uh, that that did for piano Axel Foley. Yeah, that that song did for piano playing what Karate Kid did for karate lessons. <laughs> Everyone wanted yeah. to learn like, how, Axel F. How, yeah, it's it's not one that I ever learned because I was too busy playing. I was too busy learning the theme song to Anna Green Gables. Um, what about the what about the Fletch theme song? I like that better than the Beverly Hills Cop theme song. I don't know anybody that learned the Fletch theme song. No, but I've got it in my head right now. I do have I'm it. I'm not going to sing it. Every kid in the world in 1980, whatever, learned Axel F. Okay, should we go? Overrated, with, underrated. Yeah. Let's do it. And we'll play we'll play a song from the underrated of each. Mm-hmm. Let's go okay. overrated first, and then go underrated. Overrated first. Yeah, sure. I think so. Yeah. Who's first? I've got a hot take on this. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, I've Let's got a hot it. take. Let's hear it. Um, you, you're not going to like this. This is not going to win me any fans, but I'm going with Prince as the ah, most overrated from the 80s. Interesting. What? Well, you have to be really highly rated to be the most overrated. It's true. And 
Both, uh, I think Rolling Stones got his Purple Rain album as number two from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Pitchfork has his number one. Uh, also, Rolling Stone has four Prince albums in the top 100, which is more, I think he and Bruce Springsteen each have four, but no one has more mm-hmm. than that. So for me personally, he's one that I know is very, obviously, highly regarded. You had one one song in there. You had an honorable mention. But for me, he's never never done it for me. There's a he's few never, songs that I do like. never tickled your fancy? Yeah. There's a few <laughs> songs that I do like. Um, but a lot of the ones that are on on the top list of his, even even just the songs, I'm like, ah, I don't know. And a whole album at once, I, I can't do it. I know he is crazy talented, like both as a musician and a songwriter. And so that probably plays into my overratedness for him because I think he didn't do enough... I th- with his talent? I think he had yeah I think he had Ooh. I and mm. I wonder cuz he's notorious for being both like perfectionist and controlling, right? Like not uh, a big collaborator. I don't I, I, I think, don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, he wrote songs has for his, other people. Has his own mm-hmm. home studio. But yeah, I, right. I yeah. suppose as far as like what he was protective, yeah. protective of his album, stuff. like a lot of his albums it's just him yeah. playing everything. Yeah. And I I think I kind of feel that like I think if he could have, it, it has a little George Lucas vibe to me. Huh. You know, when George Lucas okay. starts doing everything himself, or like the later Harry Potter books when the editor can't say anything anymore. Mm. Um, so it kind of feels like that. Like if he had had more other musicians that he respected and they could all work together, I think that could have been amazing. But when it's just him in his bedroom, there just feels something missing to me. Hmm. Which I know there's a ton of. Really strong okay. Prince fans right. out well, there. I reject I'm the biting take, my but, tongue. But here's, biting my tongue. <laughs> here's some uh, some glimmers that I wish I could have seen more of from Prince. One, uh, the uh, the song that he didn't sing himself, "Nothing Compares to You," right. gave right. to Sinead O'Connor. Gorgeous song. Yeah. I mean, if you're got, is there a better song about heartbreak? Probably I mean, not. But it's his great. own his own songs. That I mean, it blows my mind that he wrote that. When you consider mm-hmm. all the stuff that's on his records, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like he created this persona of him where he always, like he he took uh, Mick Jagger's posturing and and like took it to the next level, right? He took it all the way like, to eleven. He every to, he, every he album cover, every video, <laughs> he's like desperately wants to be a Victoria's Secret model, you know, just like constantly looking at the camera through his eyelids and he's definitely intentionally mysterious. Yeah, uh, yeah. famous stories. and there's all the costumes you and know, stuff. Jim, Jimmy Fallon playing ping pong with him. The the yeah. the Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood Stories yeah. is one of my favorite pieces ever. <laughs> about playing, basketball playing basketball and yeah. having pancakes at his yes, house. Yes, cooking and, pancakes after. Yeah. Um, famously mysterious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, we, if there was some humor to, I don't sense humor from him though. So I don't know. You know but, yeah, he doesn't seem like the guy that wanted to laugh at himself. No. So it makes sense. Like it would have seemed odd him singing "Nothing Compares to You." Like. Wait, <laughs> This is like, sounds like really honest, and he could have done. I wish he had. He's like, got, there, there he's got a sense of humor. I, I saw him with. I can't remember who it was. Was it? Uh, it was some comedian, and they were. De- he was definitely had a smile on his face, doing the, like kind of making fun of himself. Well, I'm, I'm glad of that because yeah. I can't picture him smiling. <laughs> All right. Well, that's your overrated, and we'll move on 
to. Can, can I pick? I'm not saying he's can terrible. I, yeah, mean no, he's I know, terrible. I know. For my just means hot take for my purple we, rain for be my most one. overrated of the '80s. Can I pick Brandon's opinion as most, <laughs> as most overrated? <laughs> this is, his, your overrated artist is Brandon's is, opinion. Is nobody overrated. Has rated that very high. <laughs> <laughs> it's overrated by you. <laughs> all right, are we gonna? We're gonna go, keep go around and do all of our overrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's yours? Uh, mine. Yours yeah, no surprise. You two with a uh, with a backup is Journey. Mm, okay, I, I I think Journey sucks out loud. I think they're so bad, and they get sucks out at, loud. Yeah, I is think, that a way to say that? Yeah, I think I've so. never heard of that. That's, uh, they get like played at, at at sporting events. Don't it's, stop they're, believing. They're like part yeah. of the. They're so much a part of culture, and it drives me insane because they are yeah. so horrible. Yeah. I, I'm with you Easy there. Easy targets. Uh, they are my yeah. my overrated. I Come I on, went go out on a limb. I went with Madonna. Pick someone that's overrated that is highly rated. Is you two an easy target? Yeah. I, I have a lot of people in my life that will well, get no. very upset with me. So for I that, think with for that like take. last episode you picked the Eagles, and here it's more popularly overrated. It is. Yeah. It is. Which is always my my great irritation. Anyways. And the yeah the thing with you too is like. Especially during the 90s. Like, when we were in high school, if you ask someone that doesn't really listen to music what their favorite band is, it's going to be you too. I think every person I ever asked in high school what they listened to, with the exception of the real music snobs who I always gravitated towards, the answer was always you too. You ask a guy that drives a truck and listens to country music, what do you listen to? I don't know, country music and you too. Ask a person that just likes dance music, I don't know, this is a dance music and you too. Like, it was always such a vanilla answer. It was the safest yeah. answer always. Um, Maybe, a te- obviously, a testament to it, some level of universal appeal. I just didn't think they made that good of music. I think they're kind of, I don't know. I'll stop before I start getting hate mail. <laughs> well, so I'm actually I'm gonna I'm switching mine up. I started to say it while you were talking, but then you kept going, so you gave me a little time to to switch it up. <laughs> My overrated is Michael Jackson from the '80s. Not Michael Jackson overall. Michael Jackson from the '80s. Because I'm I'm taking Brandon's advice his, to his actually biggest, do his biggest moment to to actually go with someone who is his rated most highly. Period. Here's the thing: he had two albums. Mm-hmm. In the eighties, I do, personally, for me, I don't listen to either of those albums. I would rather listen to Off the Wall any day of the week or Jackson Five stuff. Now, there's good songs on the album. I think that I don't think the albums are bad. I think there's good songs, but to me, it has that eighties kind of the weird, creepy, creepy uh, funk thing uh, that, that just doesn't I feel appeal stupid to me. That I don't know the answer to this. Yeah. What was he doing? Because I know he was present through the whole eighties. What was he doing? I don't know. I, he was at Neverland Ranch. Yeah, I mean, he was... Well, He there was this rivalry between him and Prince, and this is where I disagree with Brandon, in that Prince had nine albums that came out during the 80s, not to mention writing for other hits for other people. Uh, Sinead O'Connor, Stevie Nicks, Shaka Khan, uh, Sheila E. Um, I just others. wish I liked it more right. from those nine so albums. So for me, for me, I... I <laughs> My overrated is going to be Michael Jackson. My runners up to that were U2 and Madonna for, for most overrated. But I'll go with Michael Jackson for overrated. And then I'll segue into uh, underrated. Or actually, let's, let's have you do – I was going to go champ, actually decade champ. Let's have you, Brandon, with your underrated of the decade. Underrated. Okay. I'm going with uh, Dexie's Midnight Runner. Interesting. Really? Yeah. Cool. I like that one how song. Many songs, how many songs could you name by them? Exactly. Because <laughs> I exactly. Yeah, that's why I think they're underrated. Because 
everybody knows, maybe not by name, but come mm-hmm. on, Aileen. Like, yep. And so they're this one-hit wonder. But every time I've heard that song come on, I'm like, how can a band that can make a song this great not have done anything else? And and so finally, like as is I'm doing, is it a doing, great song? Yeah. It's it well, a big I, I surprise like that you wouldn't like it, but it's, <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's going there. <laughs> it's getting personal. But uh, I'm actually I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just gonna play another song <laughs> from the same album. Is it a song you've heard before, or are you just randomly picking one? <laughs> I could do either. <laughs> Here, let's uh, let's do. Brad is trying to punch me through the microphone right now. <laughs> the Celtic Soul Brothers by Dexy's Midnight Runners. Hold on, hold on. Hip pause. Hip pause. Could you hum the tune to this song? <laughs> no. You're just picking one for reals. Yeah. Oh wow! This can't be no, underrated. I, I've heard it before, I'm, but I'm saying as a band, like as I'm listening to this album. I, Song after song, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Right, Where has this right. been the let's whole time? It. Okay, let's, and, see it. let's see if it works. Okay. Let's see if you get goosebumps, Jason. Jason, but Jordan's got a big <laughs> smile on his face. It was got, an ironic smile. It's what? got a certain quality. A certain quality. Yeah, huh? I mean, it's it's fun. Uh, I I heard in the when the lyrics came in mm-hmm. for a minute there, I thought James Mercer from The Shins. Just right, for a that, that's what I was thinking I too. That. Like, there's yeah, there's a does have the same same sound the Shins vibe mm-hmm. to this. Like, if I had, you know not been mm-hmm. not being familiar with the rest of the songs on this album if it just came on the radio i would have thought it came out 5 years ago or something hmm. maybe right now this does not sound like it came out in 1982 um, probably because they play very few electric instruments i think hmm. the more acoustic instruments you have the more timeless i don't love violins in rock mm-hmm. yeah the, when it you first came to. when it first came in I thought, oh, this is hokey. Yeah. And then it kind of, it was, I was like going with the hokey vibe for a minute, thinking like, oh, Brandon doesn't know what he's talking about. But I was just kind of <laughs> ironically liking it. And then as the voice came in, I thought, okay, this is fun. Yeah, I could see, yeah. I, I could listen to some more of these And guys. maybe maybe that's why they didn't make it as a rock band. Yeah. I mean, they, they did have more albums after this, but. Yeah, I'm just yeah, looking. The, the violin, had... the violin's going to, it's problematic in a rock band. A little problematic. Had an album but in I say 80, props to him for going for it. 82, yeah. 85, and then weirdly came back 2012, 2016 album after a several decade hiatus. So I, I think there's uh, there's some undiscovered country in there mm-hmm. with uh, Dixie's Midnight Runners that I'm going to have to All right. dive so into. Here, I could be wrong. Check this out. But... All music lists the styles that Dixie's Midnight Runners hits. Mm-hmm. They have listed New Wave, Punk and New Wave, Alternative Indie Rock, Blue-Eyed Soul, 
post-punk and soul. Soul mentioned twice in there. I didn't necessarily hear it, but I'm not intimately familiar with their uh, with mm-hmm. their list of songs. Hmm. You find me a song that you think I'll like, I'll listen to it. Not right now, but just send it to me. Okay. <laughs> right now, let's record, Brandon. Have you heard the song, Come on, Aileen? By no. <laughs> is it good? <laughs> it's really good. Never like heard a, it. Is it like a soul song? <laughs> it's like that, yeah. He says, he's, there's this part where he's like, It's very soulful. <laughs> nice, nice. <clears throat> All right. Oh, my underrated? Let's yeah. hear it. Let's uh, hear Brand- it. Brandon time. stole mine. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with a record label. Um. Hmm. That this is kind of a cheat, but that's what I do. A record label that has a whole list of, I think, underrated uh, bands, and I think it's a record label worth looking into if you're a fan of music. It's called SST Records, uh, started by Greg Ginn, who was the guitarist and songwriter for Black Flag. And he had a great ear for just finding like interesting, kind of mostly punk or proto punk music. Uh, so here's a list of bands that SST kind of discovered and put out their early albums. Uh, and this just some Black Flag, Meat Puppets, Dinosaur Jr., The Descendants, um, The Minutemen. That should have been on my underrated. Double Nickels on the Dime is a mm-hmm. classic album. Um, let's see. That's the who's who of... Early, uh, it is Husker Du, Husker Du, Soundgarden, Sonic Youth, really, Firehose, Bad Brains, and Screaming Trees all Hmm. started there with SST. Um, Bad Brains, I against half of them jump ship for sub pop, for sub pop, right? Um, I against I by Bad Brains is like an all time album for me. It's that same DC punk era, but that whole label, like if you see something, if you're out there just digging through, or you just working through music however you find it if you see sst records um have a listen there's a there's kind of an interesting i think connected just overall aesthetic in them but a lot of really interesting early punk bands that that went on to be i think really influential to other musicians but somehow again had a great ear for finding stuff it's kind of crazy the the list that that sst Start SST. Yep. All right, good pick. So, are we listening to a cut from one of those? Because we, I think we're listening to just a snippet from each for the underrated. Yeah. You want to listen to it? A minute uh, cut. cut. Put yeah, go go. Uh, Bad brains. Eye against eye. The the title track from that album. You got it. You know these guys, Brandon. So this is interesting, like, if you listen to this in comparison to, like, 
the Minutemen um, double nickels on the dive. Totally different feel from what Mike Watt was doing with the Minutemen, but somehow it kind of connects over. My underrated, and as usual, I'm kind of like going through my head and, and choosing what I'm going to say here. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go with... I'll go with the Pretenders. I was going back and forth, but I'm sticking with the Pretenders. Um, uh, a band, female singer, lead singer. I can't remember her name. Do you guys remember her name? Chrissy Hind. Chrissy yeah. Hind, okay. This is a band I like a lot. My wife introduced me to them. I hadn't really listened to them before we got married. Love them. Listen to them regularly now. Um, the track I want to play is uh, Don't Get Me Wrong by The Pretenders from 1986. Don't get me wrong If I'm looking kind of So what makes them underrated? Uh, just because I think I, I have their... people look down on the pretenders? I had the same question. I, well, I don't think they're rated highly. I mean, I don't think... I think they're popularly underrated, right? Like, I, I hadn't listened to them until I was 23. Do you think they're they better? Be, you think they should be rated higher? I think they should be more popular than they were. Yeah. They get they get lost in the... Uh, in the shuffle of... You know, they, they, I mean, they have some catchy songs, right? They have some catchy songs, a lot of catchy songs that are good. There's, I think they're better than a lot of the stuff that was played. They, they probably had more of a nineties mentality, but were releasing their albums in the mid eighties. When did they start? Like how old do you think they were when they released this song? Um, like their age? Yeah. I have no idea, but let me see if Wikipedia knows. I bet it does. Um... To our listeners out there, this uh, broadcast was brought to you by Wikipedia.com, <laughs> one of the largest conglomerates of, <laughs> of, for, of, of For all of your 1980s music research needs, visit Wikipedia.com. <laughs> the Pretenders are an English-American rock band formed in March 1978. Um, so I will they, say they started in this as regards their, their uh, underratedness. I have never purposely listen to them mm-hmm. exactly yeah. yeah i did once on accident but i don't yeah. i don't dislike them right it's just and you start a band that i've never thought about listen to their their greatest hits and you'll be like okay yeah this- was there ever an overlap with uh them and pat benatar it, it probably feels, it feels like yeah, the same kind probably. of vibe um yeah i think so they're they're a little more i think pat benatar is a little more rock like um Jason, no yeah. snide remarks about Jordan's uh, Jordan's pick. Well, I didn't. Pick, I think the pick. I, <laughs> I think the pick, pick the wrong speaks one. for itself. <laughs> like, I mean, talk about. I was gonna easy go wham. I was gonna. I mean, no, I, I, feels like it was. It's pretty appropriately rated to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I can come up with some snide remarks. I don't know. I just like them. Well, the fact that you guys don't know them. Yeah. And, and to me, I mean, I know them, but you don't know. You don't. They're they're a, they're like a classic rock staple. Yeah. Aren't they? I don't know. I guess. I mean, do you, well, no, act, do you right. actively I, want I to listen to more Pretenders? Precise. I do listen to them. I do. All the time. I, they're one of the the albums that we put on in the minivan. <laughs> one of the discs we put in there. Our kids say, yeah, I love these guys. Yeah. Really? Yeah. This is so weird to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
pretenders. Well, Brandon knows because we we played some music at our house recently. We played back yeah. on the Chain Gang their yeah. version of it. We covered it. Joanna, uh, Brandon, cool and song. I, and and my brother Josh. I know that song. I'm familiar yeah. with that. It's a song. good one. That's the one more people are familiar yeah. with of theirs. The the cover. Yeah, I remember the. I remember the video. That's my pick. I'm sticking with it. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I was gonna play Holland Oates. Kisses on my list, but I knew how I knew I, I, I knew like how, that song. I knew how Jason felt about Holland Oates. I like Holland Oates. Who was it? It was your, it was a friend of yours that said if Jordan picks Holland Oates, I'm gonna. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I will I'll spare him. That's my friend Jason. Yeah, he, Jason, like, that's for you. Jordan, Jordan we, read that text. We went I to Pretenders. Went to his list and crossed. I was it like, out. no, it was still on my list, pun intended, oh. or whatever. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to go home and listen to it and cry and eat a bowl of cereal. (laughs) All right, let's get on to Decade Champ. I'm going to go first on this one. Okay. Decade Champ, Prince. That, and that's that's one of the reasons that you, you Brandon's overrated. Agree. Me and Rolling Stone, we have we have good uh How can perceptive be the taste. Decade Champ. Nine albums, uh great great albums uh the other thing he was like his his persona the decade was a decade it meant meant for over the top wardrobe hair performance style and he wasn't the prince of it he was the king of it <laughs> ah. there we go oh right? by the way movie star movie star yeah he was the first since uh, elvis to have a uh, number one movie number one album and number one i think song at the same time uh, Purple Rain was a number one movie? Yes. Yep. Really? Yep. I read this on wikipedia.com. Didn't think, is it brought any to good? you by. Is the movie any good? I, I don't know. It actually. seems like Jason, it would have to be know? terrible. I've, I've seen, seen clips of it. I I've never, never seen it, obviously. But Let's watch it at your house I'm next week. I'm guessing it's on the level of Xanadu. I know. No. <laughs> Are you kidding? Xanadu's about a. What's Purple Rain about? Roller skating. One thing I've learned about <laughs> you, roller skating Brandon, Greek goddess. One thing I've learned about you, Brandon, is that you do tend to judge books by their covers <laughs> when it comes to musicians and films. I haven't, remember I haven't how seen mad Xanadu I, either. I'm just how, saying they both seem the same. To me. How, <laughs> Xanadu is a musical about a roller skating Greek god. It, it, you still haven't told me what Purple Rain's about. I don't know. It's like a, it's about a, a m- musician. I don't. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, hey, I let you. Okay. Talk Talk during your underrated. So, <laughs> so he's the champion. So nine albums over here. in the same decade that Michael Jackson had two albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, why he's underrated, he like underrated. we mentioned, why why he is the champion, okay, and potentially underrated by who or or a rated by you for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that okay? He wrote "Nothing Compares to You" for Sinead O'Connor. He wrote "Manic Monday" for the hit group Bananarama. Hmm. He wrote uh, "Nasty Girl." He wrote "Stand Back" for Stevie Nicks. He wrote "The Glamorous Life" for Sheila E. He wrote "Shaka Khan." I feel for you. So he was writing hits beyond just making nine albums himself. That were all big albums when he released them. Um, he is the decade champ for me. He he encapsulates encapsulates the best of the 80s without trying to find someone who doesn't really fit with that time he fits with that time and he exemplified it and he championed overall he was victorious the end okay go ahead jason you're up i actually got prince do you yeah oh. i've never heard an interview or read an article summarizing the best of the 80s that he wasn't mentioned he 
I think he absolutely influenced culture. He was a musical genius, like a prodigy. He he made, I think, more like even radio hits for himself. I mean, um, Raspberry Beret, Little Red Corvette, When Doves Cry, like these were these were and still are staples. Um, it spanned the whole era. I think he influenced. Uh, like if you, I think if you look at like the ne- particularly like the neo soul and the hip hop movement, I think all of that was influenced everything from fashion, tone, and and even like business approach by Prince. I think he he was just a a, a behemoth when it came to that musical presence um, for guys that look like us that grew up in a place like Utah Valley in the eighties and early nineties. I don't think he had near the personal influence on us, which may account for part of your antipathy towards him Mm -hmm. because like, I know the stations you would have listened to growing up and you weren't going to hear a lot of prints. Um, but I think if we're just looking at like overall coast to coast, um, you know, the, the person that had the biggest influence moved the cultural needle the most, I think it has to be him or Michael Jackson. And I gave it to him because just because of the album output culturally, I mean, Jackson, I think still owned the decade. I mean, if I think about what TV meant to me, I, I, in the eighties, I picture Michael Jackson moonwalking. I picture him in Mm -hmm. Pepsi commercials. I picture the The uh, thriller video, thriller video. Like I think he, he owned and commanded Captain I mean, EO. He, Remember Captain that? Captain EO did <laughs> Disney theme parks. Right. Is, when did he buy the Beatles disc, uh, yeah. discography? Did that he was, buy that in the 80s? Yeah. It was probably yeah. late 80s. I, I, mean, 80, I think so. I, I think there's an argument to be made, but it, it's so odd to me. I, like, I don't, I don't know his history well enough musically to understand why what else that was he doing? guy would only put out. Yeah, the, those albums that what two albums in the eighties, two, right? two albums in the whole decade, yeah. which is bonkers. If you look at like a art, art artistic, well, here's, prolific here's with art. So Thriller, nineteen eighty two. So is that your choice, up. Michael Jackson? It's it's a toss up for me. I had a hard time, by the way, picking a champion of yeah. this decade. Same. Mm-hmm. Like I I thought about it a lot and talked to other people about it, mainly because it was it wasn't hard for me in the 60s and 70s because the ones that I think are the champions are also my favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, I, I think, objectively, Michael Jackson is the champion, but I rarely listen to him. Right. Who did you uh, want to pick that was your favorite? Was it The Cure? The Cure is my my personal your favorite. Your personal pick, the, but Michael like Jackson's your... The one your, from like, the 80s objective. that I listen so to like the most. Pers- and personal champ versus people's champ. Yeah. But, yeah, what Michael Jackson... Why I think he's objectively the champ. One, he's got the best, the two best-selling albums of all time. Um, Thriller has has more songs that I like on it, but bad. Like when I went back and listened to it, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't realize this. It's got a ton of hits on there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's yeah, just such consummately crafted pop songs and so much going on in them. Um, and huge hits at the time for for good reason but then at the same time he's you know he's got his weird michael jackson personality and who knows what was going on behind the scenes but 
Um, even there's a documentary I think that you yeah. could watch to find out. <laughs> but more even about just what's that. in the songs, <laughs> you know, the, his constant paranoia stuff. There, there's some good stuff in the in the songs themselves, but also, you yeah. Know, <laughs> Let me ask this <laughs> of you both: but, Do you would you prefer to listen to his albums from the '80s or Off the Wall? Me personally, I would wall. pick Off the Wall. Yeah. Okay. Feels like Prince was more prolific from a, a creation and an art standpoint. Right. But well, Michael Prince Jackson played instruments too. Right. Yeah. But Mike, Michael Jackson became this cultural icon. So, you know, Decade Champ is somewhat ambiguous because if we're talking about just prolifically creating music, pr- absolutely Prince right. dominates. But if we're talking about well, Michael Jackson ruled the world prolifically with only two albums. creating a footprint yeah. on the planet, like leaving a mark. Michael Jackson mm-hmm. unquestionably did that at more at a greater level than right. than Prince did. So how do you sum up the eighties? By the way, oh here's a question for you. I'm kind of interested in. I heard the term the earlier this week in reference to music, and it was two snobs talking about music, and they were referring to like this collective canon of what would be considered like important music, like. You know, in the world of film, you have, like, your canon of great films. In the world of literature, you have your canon of great literature. Is this what, are we trying to create, like, a canon of important music? And are we, yeah. are we accomplishing that? And then, if that's the case, is the 80s, like, is that a... How important is that Does chapter the 80s in belong the canon? I think the, the canon, 80s is more course, important yeah. than, than I first realized. Right. I do think one album or group we probably missed for the canon that wasn't on any of list was The Police. Yeah. Probably at least one of their albums. They had they had a huge impact, and they were early 80s, and they were doing the short, kind of... Short career, because they couldn't stand each career, other. Short career, but very impactful. Yeah. And I can't remember. I was watching a documentary a couple of weeks ago about '80s stuff, and I, I can't remember if it was Henry Rollins. It might have been Henry Rollins who said that he thought Police were the most influential band from the '80s. And I was kind of like, okay. Another th- thing that we missed is uh, hair metal slash butt rock. Yeah, I'm kind of glad nobody, no one picked any. I I was tempted. Poison, I, I had yeah. I had Guns and Roses on my Guns honorable mention. I. I, I Appetite for Destruction is yeah. a Guns N' Roses had a great. It's a good album. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for tuning in to this episode where we uh, we got to take a look back at some of the favorites from the eighties and some stuff that we had maybe been neglecting, but all of which we want to send out into space. Join us next week for a four-hour episode on butt rock. <laughs> Jason is going to do his research this week. I don't have to do research. I'm, I'm fully prepared. Jason's done his I research, can, and he's going to come in in costume. Album dissection of uh, Slippery When Wet. That is not butt rock. No? No. What that's like... That's just pop. That's just bad pop. Hmm. Yeah, Bon Jovi. Like, don't don't besmirch <laughs> the good name of Butt Rock by including, <laughs> including Bon Jovi. In bon Jovi. It. Really, it's like, because that was the only. If you want to break down, if you want to break down, Tesla, Great White. Um, oh, we're going into the four-hour episode right white, now. White Lion. Brandon, I shouldn't have thrown Cinderella. You we're we, going to do, do break just down a four-hour Cin- episode about Butt Rock bands with the word white in them. Do you want to break? Do you want to break <laughs> down? Cinderella's white Long snake, Cold Winter. White Rabbit. White. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to dig into. So I'm ready to do this whenever you guys want. Okay. <laughs> all right. We'll, uh, we'll see you all next time. In the meantime, we're hoping you will let the music be your master. 
more Dexies than that. <laughs> Executive producer's privilege. <laughs> I head set up. I don't have to listen to it. Do you think that this podcast episode officially became the episode <laughs> that talked more about Dexy's Midnight Runners than any other podcast <laughs> ever <laughs> in the history of podcasts? You're just proving my point. I love when, I love when you're like, wait, you and or hidden gem. No, I haven't heard that.